Hi friends, welcome back once again to another edition of the Tomorrow's Tune-In Podcast. I am your host, Chris Marshall, and this is show number 22 for the month of July 2009. Today on the show, I got a great interview with Jim Amish and Eric Nolan Wethington on the upcoming book, Sal Bushima, Comics Fast and Furious Artist. Jim, as you may know, is a writer for Alter Ego Magazine. And Eric is, of course, the editor of our Modern Masters series. So we'll have that interview a little bit later on in the show. But first, I want to let you guys know of the complete rundown of all the Tomorrow's happenings at the upcoming 2009 Comic-Con International in San Diego. Besides having a booth there, which of course we have every year, and I invite everybody to come by and say hello to everybody working at the Tomorrow's booth, and of course John Morrow, and tell John how much you love this podcast, and of course pick up a copy of the Comic Book Podcast Companion. We are going to be having a couple of panels. The first panel is going to be on Thursday, July 23rd, from 4.30 to 5.30 in room 30AB, and this is the Tomorrow's Publishing Today panel. Join the crew from Tomorrow's Publishing for a behind-the-scenes look at what goes into creating all their fan-favorite books and magazines on the art and history of comics, and now Lego, too. Publisher John Morrow and a bevy of authors and editors will take part in a video presentation unveiling new products and offering exclusive previews of upcoming items. So that'll be a lot of fun. And speaking of Lego... On Friday, July 24th, from 10.30 to 11.30, in room 3, Lego and Brick Journal, Brave New World. See what grown-ups and big kids are doing with Lego today, and what fuels them to never put the bricks down. Panelists include Joe Mino, editor and creator of Brick Journal, the magazine for adult fans of Lego, expert builders Bryce McGlone, Brandon Griffith, and Mark Stafford, and former Lego designer Megan Rothrock. Together, they'll be showcasing amazing examples of how they put their Lego building talents to use. Dust off those old bricks in your basement and join the brave new world of Lego builders. And I want to let you guys know about another panel that's going on, and it's not really related to tomorrow's publishing per se, but... There is going to be a all-star of comics podcasting, and many of the podcasters that were featured in the Comic Book Podcast Companion are going to be up on stage at the panel, which is going to be Thursday, July 9th, from 5.30 to 6.30. Comics podcasting has grown from a novelty into a force within the industry, providing an outlet of reviews, interviews, news, and general entertainment for comic book fans. Comic book podcasting veterans Jimmy Aquino, Comic News Insider, Charlito from the Indie Spinner Rack, Brian Crispin from Comic Geek Speak, Bob Bretall from Comic Book Page, and of course Ron Richards from iFanboy to discuss the future of comics podcasting. You never know what might happen in podcasting, so be sure to come as some surprise guests may be appearing. Plus, this is your chance to meet and talk to your favorite podcasters. This is going to be taking place in room 32AB. So lots going on at Comic-Con, of course. Those are just the three things that are going on. And like I said, come by the Tomorrow's booth 
and meet everybody. And we're going to have great books. Everything is going to be there for sale. So come on by and say hello. Unfortunately, I will not be able to attend, but I'm hoping to go out there in 2010. So that is uh, my new target date. For all other information, come by the Tomorrow's blog and be sure to subscribe to the blog with your favorite RSS reader. It's the best way to keep in touch with all the happenings here at Tomorrow's. And before I get to the interview, let's take a look real quick at a few of the books that are going to be coming out in July. And I know this is middle of July and I wanted to get this podcast out shortly before Comic-Con. So that's why we're about two weeks from our normal drop date of the first of the month. But anyway, coming out in July... Modern Masters, Volume 21, Chris Sprouse. Eric talks about a little bit on this book a little bit later on in the interview. This book is $14.95. It's a 120-page trade paperback and is written by Todd Dezago. All-Star Companion, Volume 4, is coming out from Roy Thomas. $27.95, 240-page trade paperback. Back Issue, Number 35, is coming out from Michael Urey. For $6.95, it's 100 pages. Burke Journal Compendium number three for $34.95. This is 224 pages, a full color trade paperback, of course, edited by Joe Mino. And the Jack Kirby Collector number 53 for $10.95. This is the summer 2009 issue. It's 84 pages, tabloid format, and of course, is always edited by John Morrow. Of course, come by the Tomorrow's Publishing website at tomorrows.com to get 15% off every book in stock, and of course, to be able to get electronic copies of all the editions. So let's move on to the interview with Jim and Eric, and to get you up to speed, this book, again, is the Sal Bushima Comics Fast and Furious Artist. It is going to retail for $26.95 for the soft cover, and that's 176 pages. There's also going to be a $46.95 192-page hardcover edition that includes 16 extra color pages. And then, finally, there's going to be a $100 Ultimate Limited hardcover edition containing an individually numbered pencil sketch by Sal Bushima himself. And, of course, we talk about that edition later on in the show. This book is available for in previews right now and will be in stock on Friday, November 20th. So on with the interview, and we pick it up with Jim. First, talk about your book, Jim, coming out, and Eric, you're part of this book too, the uh, mm-hmm. Sal Bushima Comics Fast and Furious to Artists. And let's first talk, Jim, about uh, how you first noticed uh, Sal. As You are probably a kid, right, when you first noticed oh, him, yeah. a younger man. Well, as it turns out, I saw his very first comic book work, but how could I have known that at the time, you know? Mm-hmm. I didn't realize at eight years old I'd seen his first comic book, which was Susan Adventures. And, you know, um, I always liked Sal. Sal, from the beginning, you know how it is when you're a kid, you have a very strong first impression uh, of a comic book artist or a comic book writer, perhaps. But usually, you know, kids are more impressed by the artist than they are by the writer, right? Because comics are a visual medium. But and Sal immediately uh, fit in to the uh, Marvel style. Of course, I know he had the influence of his big brother, but you know, um, and and he looked up to to, to uh, Big John. But Sal, you know, still had to do the work on his own and absorb the work on his own, and he did. 
of course, Al, he had a, Sal had a background. He had been in advertising for a number of years before he came into comics. So he didn't come in as a baby boy. You know, he came in as a, as a mature married man with children. And, um, and I think that Sal getting in at a, at a later age than your average person was able to come in with a maturity level and a sensibility and certainly a, um, a, an art career already. That was why he was able to hit the ground running because a lot of people in the business don't do that. You know, they have the growing pains. How did this book come about? You just want to do a retrospective oh, uh, of his career and everything? Sure. Well, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a funny there's a funny anecdote I want to tell. Um, as you know, I, uh, I'm associate editor, and I do the uh, usually the, the, the main interviews for Alter Ego magazine. I've been doing that for the last nine-plus years. Well, Roy Thomas and I, who's the editor of Alter Ego, we were, were at the Heroes Con. I think this was in 2004 when Sal was there. Maybe it was 2005. Eric, Eric might remember better than me which year. But anyhow... Um, Roy and I were talking about, you know, what we were going to do, you know, about a couple of people who I had interviews and when, you know, what issue are we going to put them in? We were, we were talking about scheduling and Sal besides there and Sal says, well, how come you guys don't put me in? And Roy turns around and says, well, you're too young, Sal. Dr. <laughs> 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 Ego's franchise generally is the golden age of comics up through the uh, mid-70s. That's and that's and back issue usually picks up after that. So I've been interviewing the older people first for obvious reasons. You know, there's no there's no waiting on a 90 year old person. You know, and Sal, being a young man, he he came to um, the business at the latter end of the ultra ego franchise. So that's the only reason I put Sal on hold. I was trying to do all the 80 to 90 year old people that I could, and it's not like I've run out of them because there's still a couple to do. But we all love Sal Buscema's work. I think Sal's a very underrated uh, comic book artist. I don't, and um, and so I originally was going to do the Sal Buscema interview for Alter Ego. Well, the more I started interviewing him, it turned out to be a longer interview um, than I expected, or certainly than Sal expected. And Sal said, "You wore me out, man," because <laughs> <laughs> I've got about twelve hours or more of him on tape. And um, we did, and, and then and I talked to Eric, and uh, Eric and John Morrow, the publisher, you know, decided, hey, this would make a great book too. So then I had to talk to Roy, because since this was originally slated for Roy's magazine, I didn't feel like I could, you know, make a book out of this without Roy's blessing, because it was originally we were originally starting to do it for Roy, and Roy, because he's a gentleman and a scholar, and I paid him five bucks to uh, agree. <laughs> he uh, he said he said fine. Roy's I hear Roy four fifty. Four fifty? Oh, I, I'm yeah. good. You're better. You're better than I am at that. <laughs> I'll have you around when it's at tax season, Eric. Uh, so anyway, Roy gave us his gave us his blessing to uh, to go ahead and make the book. So that was not very nice of him because you know Roy had a long working relationship and a very happy one with uh, Sal also. So uh, that's that's how the book that's how the book came about. Uh, in terms of what's in the book, I spent. I, I, you know, the book is biography and it's history. Um, I felt like Sal has never been properly interviewed, frankly. I mean, I, I know he's been interviewed, but they only touch on certain aspects of his career, and they hardly ever touch on, on him. So I focused um, quite a bit on his pre-comic book days as an advertising artist. And, you know, and of course, being the brother of the great John Buscema, um, 
that's a that's a heck of a legacy to live up to when you're when you're when your big brother is as great as John Buscema was. But uh, Sal has certainly held his own. Sal's made his own career, his own reputation, and we talk about that. We talk about uh, you know many of the books that he that he worked on, and the characters. We talked about some of the uh, people that he worked with, and uh, we tried. I tried to do a rounded biography, so uh, you, you know of Sal. You know the man and the sound, the comic book artist, and that's that's really the focus of the book. You know, I've talked to uh, John Romita Jr. and I've talked to the Cuberts before. Mm-hmm. And do you think there was extra pressure on Sal to succeed and 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 not be exactly like a just like his big brother John? Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I think the market was a little bit different when when Sal came in. They were a little more desperate for help at that point, so I don't think there was quite as much pressure at that point. Um, for for someone like that coming in, um, I mean Jim might know that better than I, but um, you know I, I don't. You know, th- th- I think the only pressure would probably be what he put on himself. That mm. would be my guess. I agree with that. Yeah, but without a doubt, he had to be good enough to stay in the comic book business. So he couldn't have just been, oh, that's John's little brother. Let's give him a shot, kind of thing. Oh sure. Well, well I think what helped Sal I, actually is the fact that he could pencil and ink himself and do it quickly. Mm-hmm. And I mean, he could hold down two books at a time, and you know, that's what Marvel needed. And he could do it in such in a compelling way, which was even better. You know, because you know there are a lot of guys that Marvel tried out before him that just couldn't quite get hang of the the Marvel way of doing things, and, and to find right. someone who could do it and do it fast was. I mean, he became one of their their big reliable guys. You know, he was he was one of their main um, assets, I think, during the during right. the seventies. And 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 I should say this: um, he didn't get the job because he's John Buscema's, you know, younger brother. He got the job because he was good enough to get the job, mm-hmm. and he was fast. Mm-hmm. Um, if if he had not been good, it, 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 he could have been um, Jack Kirby's, you know, son, and, 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 it, and it wouldn't have mattered. You know, he just he had to be good, and Sal had to make it on his own, and he did. I mean, John would help him. He criticized his work when Sal did samples. But Sal actually got in in a short amount of time, relatively speaking, compared to other uh, people who try to get into the business. Mm-hmm. But Sal got in on his own merits, not because of who he was related to. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, that's exactly what John Arita Jr. said about his career, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Jim, how how is this book broken down? You talked about a, a retrospective of his career. Uh, mm-hmm. how, how, are, how are the chapters broken down, and what are some of the extras? Who are some of the people you talked to to get this book prepared? Well, I actually um, just did my my research. I mean, I I, I didn't really talk. I, I didn't call up people who worked with Sal and talk to them about Sal uh, before I interviewed Sal. I didn't I didn't really feel the need to do that. I think Sal's work speaks for itself, and of course, you know, Sal could speak for himself. And I felt like that was the um, you know I wanted to get his perspective, his look at himself, and his look at his career and the people he knew and the characters he worked on. So. Um, you know, I just did my usual research about what he did. And, of course, a lot of it I remember because a lot of it I bought. <laughs> I was, you know, like everybody else, you know, a Salby Sam a fan. And, and, and people forget that for years Sal was helping to carry that, the, 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 the Marvel company because his work was everywhere. Um, he had a style that really worked well for Marvel and, uh, and vice versa, I think. Um, 
Sal is a good storyteller. He doesn't get much credit for that either. He's not a Will Eisner type of storyteller, but there are many kinds of storytellers. And Sal was, a, if you want action, Sal's your man. Um, and uh, Sal could also draw nuance. There was a, there was a Captain America that he, uh, when he was doing the run with Steve Englehart, and they had a character, uh, I think his name was Dave Cox, who, who um, had lost an arm in Vietnam. And the way Sal would draw the guy holding uh, this, this stump where his arm had been was uh, was, was was touching, and also uh, and and it was just the thing that Sal put in there it was a bit of business, and it was important business, but he didn't over dramatize it. But uh, so there's a little subtlety sometimes that Sal would do that people would forget because Sal was such a great adventure artist. Um, and uh, I think I think the book, as far as the book's broken down, I, I did his life in chronological order, so it's broken down in that way. We some of Sal's observations on certain books he worked on or certain people he worked with, they're in the context of the time period in which he worked with them. If that if that helps you, so basically it's a straightforward narrative. Yeah. yeah. And Eric, what do you think? Are we talked about his success? Uh, you know, just now. Why? Why do you think he had such a great success on a number of long runs, like his his time on the Hulk for about ten years, his long run on Spider-Man, his long run with Cap? You know, was it was it a, it wasn't just him; it was a team effort, right? I don't know that uh, Sal really was much of a collaborative guy. I mean, he just get the script, the, the plots, and, and draw them, and um, you know, do what he, do what he could, do the best job he could with it, and, and turn it back in. You know, that, I think you know for him it was just. Um, getting the job and, and doing it fast and, and doing it well and, and getting it done and going to the next thing. I, I don't really, and, and the fact that he could do that, you know, be consistent and provide the title with uh, stability and you don't have to worry about fill-ins with him and you're always on schedule. You know, that I think that's a big part of why he had long runs on, on titles. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of fill-ins, he was a fill-in guy for a lot of people. Well, that's right. exactly right. I mean, he'd have he's, he was fast enough that you know, he, besides doing his own jobs, he could fill in when somebody else fell behind. So, I mean, mm-hmm. that's the part of what Jim was saying earlier when he was all over the place. I mean, that part of that was because he was filling in for other people when uh, when they fell behind. So, yeah, I mean, covers and interiors too. I mean, and, you know, then inking somebody. Some, sometimes he might just somebody might need, need an inker or something. And he would ink somebody, you know. So he would do that too. So he, he could he could do a lot of things for Marvel, and, and so they keep him busy. Jim, what do you attribute his longevity to, you think? Well, I think it's obviously to his dedication to the craft. I mean, you know, Sal times did layouts for other artists to do finishes, and sometimes their finishes were good, and frankly, sometimes they were bad. And sometimes Sal would get the blame for that, which, of course, is unfair because Sal wasn't responsible for the final look when you're only doing layouts. But Sal's layouts... um, they served an important function in you know for Marvel, which was Sal broke the story down. There was no guesswork as what was going to happen. Sal told the guy who was going to finish the art what was going to happen in in the layout. So the Marvel style, the Marvel House style, Sal's sensibility in the storytelling still comes through, even though sometimes his work was massacred by others. Uh, but uh, he did what Marvel wanted to do because he was a good company man. Sal was possessed of old-fashioned values and old-fashioned sense of a work ethic. 
and he worked hard for the company. Hey, if somebody got sick or broke an arm, you know, hey, Sal, can you pencil can you pencil this book in three or four days? And Sal would say yes because he was a good company man. He 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 was well served by Marvel and vice versa. Sal gave a lot to that company. Sal feels like Marvel was good to him. And so he was going to do his very best, and he was going to do whatever they needed because they because they were happy with him, and he was happy with them. And and I think that Sal, um, you know, had a, you know bears some 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 credit for longevity of the company too through you know some some dark periods as as well as you know the good periods. He um, he just knew what to do. His his stories were never boring. There are no boring Sal Buscema stories. I mean, and if there are, it's only because the dialogue is bad, which Sal was not responsible for. You right. know, Sal could move any story along and make any story look interesting. And you know, as somebody who's been working in comics, well, I've been in my seventeenth year. Um, I can tell you, this is not an easy thing. You know, what Sal did is hard work, working late hours, working all night sometimes, going without sleep. You know, get the job done. Get it done on time. Get it done professionally. You know, when you're when it's four and five and six in the morning, and you've been there since five or six in the morning the day before, and your eyes hurt, and your back hurts, and your hand gets tired, and you're still making good lines on paper. This is an achievement, and a lot of people, I think, sometimes don't appreciate it. And that's one thing Sal did. Sal gave heavily of himself for 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 the entertainment of readers, and and that's something I feel you know, should really be pointed out. And Sal did this, sure, to earn a living, but Sal did it for the enjoyment of the craft itself, and he also did it because he knew it was going to make other people happy, and that's something that is very important to the psyche of cartoonists, and Sal understood this as well as anybody. Mm -hmm. Eric, did he have to change his style over the years? I mean, he's still working today in a limited basis. You know, how has he evolved over the years? Well, I I think... um... You see him change his style a little bit in the in the mid to late '80s. Um, I remember t- particularly when he was on Spectacular Spider-Man. He kind of went to a thinner line, and um, I want I don't want to say scratchier style, but it is kind of it was a little scratchier kind of style. I guess kind of you know because the, the guys like Jim Lee and McFarlane were starting to, just starting to come in and, and make noise, and I think that Marvel was looking for that kind of thing. And, yeah, so I don't know how much of it was him doing it consciously or him trying to fit in with uh, what Marvel wanted or, or what um, Jim what did, what do you think about that did you talk about that at all or? a little bit I think it was I think it was a conscious effort um, and I, but I think it starts slightly earlier than you say because you know Walt Simonson did this incredible run on Thor oh, yeah. you know one of the, it's, it's in fact outside of Jack Kirby's run on Thor you know I think it's the highlight of the entire series history of that character and and then Walt, for one reason or another, needed a fill-in, and here comes Sal Buscema. And it's a Sal Buscema unlike that that we had seen before. Sal, and, and Sal tried to blend in as much as he could. I mean, it was impossible to blend in with Walt Simonson because Walt is such a unique creator and, and I think very difficult for anyone to copy. But Sal took his style and he, and he, and he bent it in that direction some so the change wouldn't be quite as jarring. And I think... And the response was tremendous. I I was running a comic book shop then, and I saw that and went, "Oh my God, this is great!" I mean, I always liked Sal, and I said, "This is an advancement." And 
Sal took that advancement, and he ran with it. I think Eric is right about the work looking just a little scratcher, and I think Sal himself would agree. But it was organized scratchiness. Yes, <laughs> okay? it was. I mean, it was all there. Yeah, definitely. Right. There was, and um, and Sal being 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 a master craftsman of the of the tools of his trade. You know, was able to uh, veer in that direction. I think it was a good direction. It was a better direction. It was an advancement, and it kept his work looking current. You know, in the face of changing styles, like Eric pointed out, and that's not a, again, that's not a small thing for an artist to do. That's a hard thing for an artist to adjust to. And frankly, I thought Sal made it look kind of easy. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I run a, a particular storyline with the Green Goblin in Spectacular Spider-Man. <clears throat> and uh, that's and he did a great job with that story. I mean, it was just completely action packed, and, and his style. And while he went scratchier, I think uh, he wasn't like some of the guys who would go scratchier, where he would put in too many extraneous lines. It would just look like a big total mess. He would he didn't overdo it. Uh, it right. Still, mm-hmm. yeah. Right. I, I agree. That's why I said it was organized scratchiness. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's not sloppy. But, right. But it's lived in. It's worked in. Yeah. You know, it's a little bit different, slightly different than the Joe Sinnott clean, organic, you know, pristine line. But it's but 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 it served a very good decorative uh, purpose, and you know, and the function, the function and utility of it, you know, served the type of stories he was doing. Yeah, and it fit the energy of the style too. I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, now he's been a Marvel guy his entire career. Was there any point when he wanted to branch out and, and try different things or independent things or? other characters from other companies at all? Was that ever cross his mind, you think? Well, he did go to D.C. for a while. He spent, he spent a few years there, but that was when Marvel had their bankruptcy in the mid-'90s, you know, where people... I was affected, too. You know, I I lost my Marvel work when those books were canceled, editors let go. Marie Severin, you know, um, went over to D.C. also, did some coloring uh, for a while, and Sal went over, too. Um, the, the book explains, you know, that situation a little more more detail that I'm going to now. Mm-hmm. But uh, Sal got to do, you know, all the major characters. And, of course, Sal was doing, actually, Sal was doing more inking, mostly inking there, did, did some penciling. And Sal, I thought, very easily adapted because Sal was a professional. He understood that, you know, you have to be a chameleon at times in order to keep this stuff going. Sal knew how to stay on top of his game, and I think he's always done that. Um and I, he enjoyed he enjoyed the time at DC, but he but but if Marvel had not gone bankrupt, uh, Sal would have would would not have gone to DC. He only did it because it was uh, the way the tide had turned, you know, in the business at the time. As we kind of wrap up here, Eric, what are some of the extras involved in the book? What kind of artwork can we expect you've added in here? Oh uh, well, um, I'm still in the process of tracking down a lot of artwork. So if anybody out there has some really prime pieces. Be feel free to contact me. I've gotten a whole bunch of stuff, but I could always uh, use more at this point. So, um, but we have a lot of um, prime older stuff, and we have, we have a lot of commissions he's done in the past few years too. He's he's, he's done commissions uh, over the past I don't know how long, uh, mm-hmm. several years, uh, and I've gotten some nice ones uh, over the past month, two months. Uh, I've got a lot of people have come forward with with some things. In fact, I just got one last night with a nice uh, Scarlet Witch montage. Um, I'll have to shouldn't send that to you, Jim, as you see it. But um, that he that he just finished, like he did, the, the guy just got it yesterday. So, ah. <clears throat> um, so he yeah he's still busy doing doing that kind of thing. So we'll have that in the, in the hardcover. We also have a 16-page color section, 
which um, you know, for the purposes of, of this, is out of the covering or anything. So mm-hmm. that'll probably mostly cover galleries and that kind of thing. So um, you get to see the because you did a ton of covers. So we'll, we'll pro- that'll probably mostly focus on the on the covers. Um, yeah, you know, I don't have a total on this, but it wouldn't surprise me if Sal has the the, the Marvel cover record. He may, for all we know. He might. Yeah. I don't know if anyone's ever done a count of that. Would be interesting. Be close between him and Gil Kane, I think. So. Yeah. Well, you know, there's there's a lot of, lot of people who, who to uh, whom um, Sal is the Hulk artist, or Sal, depending on the, your vintage, Sal is one of the Avengers artists. Sal is one of the Captain America artists. And Sal is certainly one of the Spider-Man artists because of all the years he put on Spider-Man. Usually, mm-hmm. when he talk about Spider-Man, he talk about Ditko or John Romita or Todd McFarlane. But you know, Sal. Sal takes a backseat to to nobody. He had a long run and a long productive run, and I think that uh, Sal gets overlooked sometimes because he doesn't blow his own horn. He doesn't brag himself about himself because he's not a braggart. Mm-hmm. Sal does his work. He's secure in that, and I don't think he ever felt the need to publicize himself. And I think because of that, sometimes he didn't get some of the publicity that he should. And you're going to fix that a little bit. <laughs> There's also going to be, uh, along with the hardcover, you guys are going to produce a $100 ultra limited hardcover edition. Yes. Now, what's going right. to be? What makes this one so special? I'll let Eric your very, own, your, very, your, your very own Salvi Simon sketch in the front. Um, he, he's uh, doing 52 sketches. Uh, there, there'll be a list of of the characters he'll be doing on the website when you order. Um, I'm not sure when that'll go up, but uh, yeah. So you can you can. Be doing a number of each of a certain number of characters, so there'll be 52 total, and um, yeah, that, that's that, that's what you get. You get like I think it's a three by five uh, head sketch kind of thing. So um, right, right, be, in, yeah, in, yeah. in in pencil, yeah, yeah in pencil, uh, yeah. Yeah, I talked to Sal the other day. He's you know he's he's working on him. He'll be finished with him before all that long, I think. And yeah. um, and we went over Eric and I went over a list of characters we thought were. Some of Sal was better known for, like of course the Hulk and Spider-Man and mm-hmm. Captain America, mm-hmm. and uh, you know uh, Sal had a run on Thor too. So there'll be the it'll be the main characters. You you, you won't see you won't see the Wasp, for instance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, right. What about but, Nova? Uh, Would Nova be on there? Uh, he may be. I I you know we gave Sal a room that he felt like doing a Nova. You know then then I said go ahead and do it. If you feel like doing it, do one. So, yeah. so there may be one. I, I'm not sure because we didn't give him an exact set list right. of hey, you have ten of this, twenty of that, or whatever. We that we didn't do because we didn't want to stifle Sal's you know creativity or Sal's interest in doing them. Mm-hmm. So and I, and I, would, I wouldn't be completely surprised if he turned up a turned in a couple of abominations because he likes drawing that one a lot. So uh, I was just say, Eric, is abomination on the cover? Yes, he is. Yeah, that's, that's what I thought. That's part of the reason we kind of went with that. Uh, is, Jim mentioned, you know, we were trying to figure out what we were going to have for a cover. Um, Jim mentioned the fact that Sal really liked drawing the abomination, so I, we kind of came up with a, a kind of a variation on uh, a, a scene from one of the Hulk and abomination fights out in the desert. So. Well, actually, actually, we had two ideas, so Eric and I discussed them. We, we figured, well, you know, we either do Spider-Man or the Hulk. And, um, and if we did Spider-Man, maybe he'd fight the Green Goblin, but I, I had said to Eric that, you know, the Hulk is Sal's favorite comic book character, and Sal, you know, 
loves the abomination. I mean, of course, the abomination is the most visual of the Hulk enemies. I mean, the Hulk fighting leader isn't quite as interesting right. <laughs> as the yeah. abomination. And, and so then, and, and then after Eric and I talked, uh, we, I talked to Sal. Of course, Sal, you know, immediately went for Hulk and abomination. I said, look, you know, put him in the desert, make it, you know, because I, I, I remember the Hulk did a lot of fighting in the desert, you know, because sure. they had him out west so much of the time. And to me, I, I, I like that whole visual of the Hulk fighting the bad guys in the desert rather than necessarily around all these buildings. And so, you know, Sal loved the idea, and that was all the direction we gave Sal. And, of course, Sal yeah. turned in a beautiful cover, yeah. which I knew he would. And uh, he, of course, penciled it in into himself. And um, it's a typical Sal Bissama cover. It's, 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 it's eye-catching, it's, it's, and, and it's just terrific, and it's full of drama. And it's everything that you could want from Sal. He, Sal knows how to radiate energy in the characters, from the characters. And um, he's as good as anybody at that. And it shows that after all these years, he can still do it, and he still makes it look easy. Mm-hmm. And what is Sal working on these days? Right now he's doing um, some Spider-Man family stuff. He's still doing the Spider-Girl segment, uh, you, know, you know, there. And he does commissions. And uh, there's something else that he may be doing, but I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about it yet, so maybe I'd better not. But uh, the nice thing about Sal is he's still working, and he he does as much or as little as he wants. Excellent. Well, this book is expected to come out in November, and it's in previews right now. Jim, what are you working on right now as far as Alter Ego goes? Well, Roy and I just... Uh, I just finished proofreading the August issue, which has my interview with the son and two granddaughters of Major Malcolm Wheeler Nicholson, who was the founder of what became DC Comics. And I feel like, frankly, you know, without bragging too much, I feel like this is one of my more important interviews and one of our more important issues because so little has been known about the man that started this company. And, of course, the company... Uh, was taken away from him in, and in a different way than we've ever known. There, there's a lot of new ground broken on how DC Comics became DC Comics, who this, who Major Nicholson was, why he was so you know vital to comics history. We've known so little about him. We even had the wrong death date for him. We, that's how little we knew. Someone said, "Oh, he died in the 19, late 60s." Someone wrote down 1968. No, he died in 1965. Hmm. So I feel like we finally have, this is our first look at the biography of the man that started, uh, the first man to do all new comic books, because before comic books were famous funnies, all reprint. Nicholson changed that, and, 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 and it was a, a, such a significant you know, achievement and an idea, not only to have the idea, which he was the only one who did, but to carry it through. And now we finally get to learn about this important pioneer. That's pretty cool. I'll be interested to learn more about that because I've read the uh, the one book, I forget the name of it, had the history of DC Comics, history of comics, and talked a lot about Harry Donenfeld and everything. But that should be very interesting. Right. Right. Well, he Donenfeld and Leibowitz took the company uh, by hook and by crook from mm-hmm. from Major Nicholson, and we discussed that a little bit, um, well, quite a bit in 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 the interview and. Uh, and in the meantime, they, they painted their own pretty picture, frankly, on, on D.C., and, um, and they swept the major under the rug, and he was virtually forgotten until um, the family got um, an ink award, an ink award, ink pot award is the word I'm looking for, mm-hmm. from San Diego Comic Book Convention last year. They, they um, 
inducted the major into the uh, Hall of Fame posthumously, of course, and the family went out there to receive it. They, they finally came forward there, and then um, now they've come forward, uh, you know, to us. And I think we can now give the major his proper due because what information we had, some of it was was very erroneous, and there wasn't that much of it. But now you'll get a good good picture of who this man was. And we even talk about the time that someone attempted to assassinate him because he criticized the military. I think it's a fascinating story. Hmm. Wow, that's very interesting. Yeah, the, the book is uh, The Men of Tomorrow book by Gerard Jones. Right. That's what right. it was. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Eric, what is coming up with Modern Masters? <clears throat> well, I'm uh, playing catch-up at the moment. Um, just trying to finish up uh, volume. Volume 21 is at the printer. Uh, it should be out, I'm hoping, next week. Um, and that's a Chris Sprouse one. Chris Sprouse, right. And then volume 22, Mark Buckingham. I'm just trying to finish it up. And uh, San Diego uh, might disrupt that a little bit as far as when it comes out. But um, beyond that, uh, working on Darwin Cook uh, for volume 23. And then um, Guy Davis will be later this year. Um, I believe it's scheduled to come out right after uh, the South December book. And then uh, early for next year, we've got uh, Jill Thompson already lined up. So and Jeff Jeff Smith, and then Jill, Jill Thompson. So oh, uh, really? that's, that's keeping me busy. So. That'll be fun. Twenty, yeah, we, almost we, twenty-five in. That's great. Congratulations! Yeah, I, I never 25. thought I'd get that far, but there you go. Very cool. <laughs> I don't. I'm not surprised he got that far. Eric does good books. Oh, he does. I, I love them. I, I think they're yeah. great books. Like, well, you, well, you say Jeff Smith. That'll be fun to have. Oh yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. I, I, I talked with Jeff at, at San Diego last year, and he was all for it. So, um, oh yeah. yeah. So yeah, he's, he's, I guess I read, I, and I read Eric's books. I mean, Eric covers a later time period than I do. So between the two of us, you know, we, we, a lot of comics history gets covered one way or another. Not to, mm-hmm. you know, I think we're, I know we're both very, very proud of that because it's a very important thing to do this while the people are here, you know, to talk to, and while the interest level is as high as it is too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the w- the way I look at it is, is Jim gets the guys before they die, and I get the guys before they lose their memory. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, you know. Well, guys, thanks a lot for coming on the tune-in. I really appreciate it. No, no sure, problem. you're very welcome. I want to thank Jim and Eric for coming on the show this month. Be sure to go out and pre-order this book. Like I said, it's going to be available in November. And if you're going to Comic-Con International, have a safe trip. And, of course, go to the panels and come by the Tomorrow's booth. We would love to see you. My name is Chris Marshall, and you can write me with questions or comments at collectedcomicslibrary at gmail.com. Talk to you next month, everybody. Bye-bye.